The challenge that we put to ourselves now is how can we start to measure things in days and weeks rather than months and years? So I always talk about what does the I in a CIO mean? And early on, it was the chief integration officer. How do you bring systems together? We then see it evolve into the chief information officer. And I would say now it needs to be the chief innovation officer. I like results, but I learned early in my career that the more we focus on people, the more results we get. If I look back and say, that's better off because I put energy into it, that is hugely motivating. Jump and trust that the safety net will appear. This is CRNet TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Cindy Hoots, who is the Chief Digital Officer and the Chief Information Officer at AstraZeneca. A very warm welcome, Cindy. Thanks so much for having me, Henrik. It's great to be with you today. Cindy, you were born in Trinidad and uh, Tobago. You lived in four different continents. You have a degree in computer information systems from the DeVry Institute of Technology. Um, you spent the first 16 years of your career at Mars. Then you moved to ITT. And after that, you became the CIO for Africa for SAB Miller, uh, based in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa. Uh, you were the, uh, after that, the global VP technology at Unilever, based in London. And in January 2020, uh, you joined AstraZeneca as the CDO and CIO. So, Cindy, Tell us a bit more about yourself. You lived on four different continents. What's the story there? So tell us your background and how did you arrive in this position as CIO CDO? Yeah, so I am fourth generation from Trinidad. So uh, mm -hmm. my great grandparents immigrated there and uh, my parents, my grandparents and my siblings and I were all uh, born there. And then we moved okay. to the US when I was young and I did mm -hmm. most, uh, all of my schooling actually in the US. And um, when I was uh, living in California, um, started to think about career choices. And during one of the career days at school, um, we were talking about computer science and um, not a field that many people were going into at that point in time, but um, really just intrigued me. And I really thought that this was a future um, you know, kind of change that was going to be happening in the world, and I wanted to be part of it. So I was one of 5% women in my freshman class and um, have found it to be a profession that I, that I really love. Um, I, have, uh, I met my husband at university as well, so that mm -hmm. was um, fun. And uh, we've been married for uh, 32 years as of last week, and I have three children, uh, one that's 29, one that's 26, and a 24-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, my eldest is also uh, in uh, the computer field as well. So um, oftentimes he and my husband and I have lots to talk about. So I initially got into um, a, a role at, uh, in healthcare and mm -hmm. worked for hospital systems for the first five years of my careers before joining Mars, as you talked about. And it was really mm -hmm. in my work with Mars that uh, I had my first global role 
and started mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time traveling around the world and getting the different perspectives from different people, different cultures. Um, and I think it just um, created an environment that it's something I've come to really be passionate about and um, getting to see different parts of, of the world and, and learning about the people and the places. It's been fantastic. So you started in healthcare, you went to consumer goods, and now you're back into healthcare, and, and, and it's now a household brand, of course, AstraZeneca. But tell us a bit more, give us a bit of context of, of what is the company all about, how big is it, and, and, and so on. Give us some background, please. Yeah, so AstraZeneca really is a scientific-based company, um, a mm-hmm. pharmaceutical industry, predominantly looking at um, biopharma as well as oncology. So we do mm-hmm. really only life-saving medicines, um, which I think okay. brings a lot of of purpose to the work that we do. Uh, we're about $26 billion operating you know, globally around the world. Um, and you would have seen us become a household name as a result of our collaboration with Oxford University on the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, we've got about 77,000 um, employees around the world. Wow. And predominantly, our research centers are in Sweden, in the UK, and in the US. Um, and we've got a really big footprint in uh, China as well. Okay, so you joined there in January 2020, and then you were hardly there, and then this pandemic hit us. So tell us a little bit that story, and also the story of AstraZeneca itself, because all of a sudden, yeah, AstraZeneca started uh, producing vaccines. Yeah, so it was really quite um, fascinating because I think I'd only been in the company about three weeks before we started to see some of the initial signs of COVID mm-hmm. starting in China. And obviously with a big employee population, we have about 18,000 people in China, very rapidly it became um, something that I needed to pay attention to. Um, yeah. And then it was only a few weeks after that that you know the rest of the world started to go into lockdown. And we went from being a predominantly insourced um, or at in the office kind of working environment to now everyone working remotely. And so yeah. learning to be able to pivot like so many companies did during that time um, you know, was, was really critical. And especially given the scientific nature of the type of work that was going on, um, many of our people were used to being in the labs, in the manufacturing facilities. So it was a big change management to, to really pivot so quickly into being able to adapt and work remotely. And it's been really profound to be able to be part of an organization that is having this type of an impact. And um, I have to say the diligence and the commitment of, you know, not only my own team, but all of the, the teams across AstraZeneca um, has been really a great way for me to start and see a company that really lives its values. Okay, because let's talk about these values, because you said the uh, vaccines are uh, produced at an, uh, no profit. Is, I mean, tell us what are the values of, of, of the company? Yeah, so first and foremost, it's really about how do we follow the science and mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, what we do is, is um, always based in, in good science. Um, we're a very entrepreneurial um, company, so we do mm-hmm. a lot of innovation and, and uh, thinking about how we can come up with next generation therapeutics. 
Um, one of the values is really about doing the right thing. And mm -hmm. um, again, this was a big part of, of our stepping into the vaccine businesses. There was a world crisis and we thought that we had the right type of people and, and know-how and science to yeah. be part of the solution. Um, and so it's been really fantastic um, to really see those values just really come to life um, across the vaccine, but across so many of our other products that, uh, that have been uh, launched in, in the past year. Okay, now you started um, at the beginning of 2020 at AstraZeneca. I'm, uh, I'm sure that you were hired to make a change in the organization, in the IT organization. Can, can you talk a little bit about the changes that you have made, that you're making right now in the, in, in the company? Yeah, so a lot of it is, is about how can we really leverage technology as a competitive advantage. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in, in you know, the last you know, decade, few decades, technology has really been an enabler. And I think we're mm -hmm. really at a point now of how can we leverage it to really identify new business models, new business adjacencies, new therapeutics. And so that's been um, really rewarding because we've got, you know, a, a management team that is keenly interested in technology and mm -hmm. very open-minded in terms of the role that it can play. And mm -hmm. um, so that's been fantastic. So we launched our IT 2025 strategy in December um, mm -hmm. around four key pillars. So the first being leading with AI and insights. Um, the second around how to accelerate innovation and delivery. The third around how do we optimize how we run, not just in IT, but across the company and across our broader ecosystem. And then how do we be a great place to work? And, you know, for me, it's always um, wanting to make sure that people are enjoying the job that they, that they do every day and they get excited about coming into work. Um, and particularly with the, the kind of mission that we have around um, accelerating patient care, um, mm -hmm. it's something that uh, we find people really um, engage themselves in the mission of, of the company and, and making sure that we can really impact patient lives positively. So building a great place to work is one of the, of one of the pillars of, uh, of your 2025 uh, strategy. Is that also, does that also have to do with sustainability? Is that a, a point in there as well? Yeah, so being a, a great place to work for us is not only just the, the traditional things that you'd think of in terms of employee development and employee engagement. And I think when we think about sustainability, for us it's not just environmental sustainability, but really also access to care. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we talk about in IT is um, how can we be good stewards of, of our money and making sure that every dollar we spend is really impactful because if we have more spend than it's necessary, what happens is those medicines become more expensive and, you know, mm -hmm. people then are making decisions on, you know, do they use their paycheck to buy groceries or are they using their paycheck to buy the life-saving medicines they need? And so one of the areas that we're really focused on is how can we together with our uh, partners really look at more cost-effective ways of delivering mm -hmm. technology because it really then impacts patient lives. And this connection between what we do every day and the patient is just so vitally important. So it's one of the key things that we you know, spend time with as a team. Okay, great. Now let's talk about one of the other pillars in, uh, in your plan, and that is 
leading with uh, AI and with, with insights. Can you um, uh, talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so I think during the pandemic, when we um, all needed to work remotely, what we found was we opened up our minds to completely new ways of working. And we were able mm -hmm. to start using AI um, in far greater um, ways than we had previously. And so whether it was through advanced drug discovery, whether it was around understanding our workforce, or thinking about how we could enhance kind of our smart factories, we were seeing that AI was really permeating almost everything we do as a company. Even in the IT world, we've been able to really apply it from a cybersecurity perspective to be mm -hmm. able to identify you know, threats and risks at a much greater pace. Um, and so we want to make sure that as we move forward, the philosophy and the mindset of embedding AI um, to really augment and enhance what we're doing um, is forefront, uh, not only within the IT organization, but across the company. Okay, another point on your strategy plan is, is to accelerate uh, innovation. So, yeah. so how do you do that? How do you create more innovation in, in, inside a huge organization as AstraZeneca? Yeah, so I think one of the things, again, coming from the last year was we realized that we could do things at record pace. You know, mm -hmm. traditionally, especially in a regulated industry, you know, everything is very thorough and documented and delivered over longer periods of time. And certainly when it comes to medicines, that's highly important. But we realized that we were being asked to deliver things in days, sometimes a few weeks maybe at the most. But this yeah. agility and this ability to focus in on what was really important, become more decisive, um, think about what was good enough that we could enhance over time versus having that perfect solution um, was a skill that we really developed as an entire company, um, certainly within IT. And so the challenge that we put to ourselves now is how can we start to measure things in days and weeks rather than months and years? And okay. through that, uh, we're finding that we can really then test hypotheses come up with an idea, see if it works. If it works, we do more of it. If it doesn't, we pivot and we change. Um, so that is really helping the speed. The innovation's coming because, especially when we think about the use of AI, um, we can go through multiple iterations, multiple cycles much more quickly than ever before. So the speed to being able to get to an, a new medicine or understanding what a new molecule can do um, has rapidly increased as well. Okay, so that's, a, that's, I mean, one of the positive things that come, come out of this pandemic is that all of a sudden we, we, we can work from wherever we are, home office, that, that was, I mean, a couple of weeks and that was adopted worldwide. But what I find fascinating is that you say it also forced us to make decisions quicker, especially in a highly regulated environment like, like pharma. And that, that, will, that will stick as well then. That's uh, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think that what we realized is the partnerships that we created to be able to mm -hmm. work at speed as well was, was a really yep. important factor. And so how do you spend a bit more time working across, um, you know, the ecosystem to really bring in those partnerships and uh, co-create and co-innovate together as well? Okay. Now, the fourth pillar was uh, optimize how the company is run. 
So optimization uh, with technology. Can you give a couple of examples of that? Yeah, so I think for me, it's about looking at each of the processes we use. For instance, when we were talking about cyber, um, mm -hmm. we were able to use AI to take our triage times from 90 minutes to under three minutes. And all of a sudden, then you have more time to look at things more strategically, to spend more time thinking about um, what other areas should we be going into. So what we've been doing is looking at each of the different areas of our business and IT and saying, could we apply you know, RPA? Could we um, change the process? Have things moved on in a way that we could um, you know, kind of change the way we always have done stuff and thinking about it with a fresh pair of eyes um, yeah. to really drive out the waste and the, and the um, excess time it takes in each of our processes. Okay, let's talk a bit about the IT organization. So AstraZeneca in total, 77,000 people. H how big is IT and, and how have you organized uh, IT today? Yeah, so we're predominantly an in-sourced IT shop. We have about 4,800 mm -hmm. internal IT uh, people. Um, we're mo mainly centralized under my organization, although we do have a, a few countries where IT reports locally just because mm -hmm. of um, some, some logistics reasons. Uh, but we do really operate as, as one IT organization. Uh, the team is focused on R&D, then we have a commercial area, um, mm -hmm. we have an operations area, and then our enabling units, which are like corporate services, finance, HR, legal. And then underneath that, we have um, you know, kind of some horizontal teams, whether it's our infrastructure team, cyber, data and analytics, um, and end user services that then provide services across all of uh, our functions. Uh, how many, what percentage of your IT leadership team have you really met in, uh, in, in face to face uh, today, uh, Cindy? Yeah, so starting a new company in a new continent in a new industry, um, you know, was challenging enough, but with the pandemic, mm -hmm. Um, I still haven't met 60% of my leadership team in person. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's just been a fairly remarkable year being able to, um, you know, come in, manage a, a pandemic, set a new strategy, yeah. and yet we haven't really had time uh, together to even get to know each other, you know, on a, on a more personal level. So really looking forward to the point in which we can travel a little bit again and, and getting to meet people face to face. So how would you describe your role in, in, in AstraZeneca? What is fundamentally, let's say, what you've done year one and what you're now doing in year two? What is, what is your big added value? Yeah, so I hold both the chief digital officer and the CIO role. Um, mm -hmm. I would say last year, you know, a lot of it was centered around the CIO role. How could we mm -hmm. really um, take what we had and make sure that we could adapt to the new changes that we were seeing? Um, and I have to say, we did do remarkably well in terms of um, very seamlessly and uh, what looked effortlessly, although it was a lot of work from the team, um, to help mm -hmm. the organization continue to run. And I think um, through that, we were able to really leverage digital in some new ways. But I'm hoping that as we move now more into 2021, that um, the digital components, how can we leverage 
um, you know, technology and a digital mindset to drive new medicines, find uh, faster ways of, you know, getting to the right, the right molecules, the right therapies, um, and enhancing the way in which we manufacture these um, will have much more of a digital uh, component to it. Let's talk a bit in, in general about the role of the CIO. Because, I mean, the, the, the end of the role of the CIO has been announced many, many times, but still I think this, this role is going to stay uh, for, uh, for quite some time. So if you look back, I mean, you've been CIO for, for quite some time. Five or ten years ago, what was the role of the CIO? How do you see it today? And, and looking forward, how do you see the role change in the future? Yeah, so I always talk about what does the I and a CIO mean? And, you know, early on, it was the chief integration officer. How do you bring systems together? Um, we then see it evolve into the chief information officer. And I would say now it needs to be the chief innovation officer. How can we bring uh, that technology to bear? And I think for me, you know, for the bulk of the, my career, IT's really been an enabler. It's been a business partner. And now I think it's time that we really bring the thought leadership about how technology can be applied um, to really generate new business, where I think mm -hmm. in the past we've been focused more on how do we support the business we have. So, um, Cindy, you said that in AstraZeneca, the, the, uh, the C-level, the executive board, is, is focused on technology. Uh, that's not very common in the pharma uh, company. Is that special at AstraZeneca? I mean, it certainly feels special to me. I would say in most mm -hmm. of the companies that uh, I've worked in, people have had a, an appreciation for the role of technology, but um, may not really be as uh, connected to it as I'm seeing here. And certainly our CEO is um, highly technical um, and mm -hmm. likes to engage in, in very technical conversations. But even our CFO is, uh, you know, he could stand up and do an hour-long talk on digital um, in a way that, you know, a lot of people that uh, lead digital may not be able to do. And I think our scientists, our, you know, our head of R&D, um, also see just the game-changing aspect of how technology can help accelerate medicines. And so um, what I'm seeing is a much more balanced approach between their core discipline and the way in which they view technology that I think is, mm -hmm. is very special. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about, I mean, you have a, a big organ, IT organization, 4,800 people uh, in, in different groups. How do you make sure that, that your teams are successful? What's, how do you, what's your management style? How do you, and how easy it is uh, for you to attract the right top talent to the organization? Yeah, I mean, I always like to start with what's the vision? Where do you want to go? And what kind mm -hmm. of company are you? And based on that, you know, for me, it's about finding people that share that passion, that have that same sense of purpose and mm -hmm. helping them to connect to the company um, at that kind of deep level. And, and I think that helps attract the right kind of talent. Um, I'm a technologist. I, I do like people to be technically um, um, competent and building more of an engineering kind of culture. So again, if you are clear on the vision of where you want to go and you're clear in terms of what style you want to, to invoke as an IT organization to get there, then I think you can attract the right people. 
And then it's about focusing on people's development. How do you ensure that um, they're getting the right kinds of opportunities um, so that they feel like they can develop and grow? and be able to, to kind of move around the IT organization as well as, you know, sometimes taking a business role as part of that as well, um, where you're really helping people to reach their personal best. And as a result, then, all of the work that needs to be done, people are far more engaged. And, and we have very mm -hmm. high engagement levels. Um, our last uh, survey uh, was 92% in terms of engagement levels. And I think it's really this combination of, you know, a, a clear purpose of where our company's going, but a clear purpose of the IT and how each of them can be part of, you know, really delivering um, on behalf of patients. So yeah. um, that, that's been really important. Now, you have teams all over the world, I can imagine, in Sweden, in the UK, in the US, in China, many other countries. Um, how, how do you manage the culture aspect of that? I mean, you have diversity built in in the organization. So, so what's your way to, uh, to deal with this, this, this global aspect of, uh, of your organization? Yeah, and I think working in a very diverse IT organization um, gives you the opportunity to really think about the cultural aspects on a, on a fairly deep mm -hmm. level. Spending time with the team to understand what's important to them. Um, how do they like to work? Are they more formal? Are they more informal? Um, are they hierarchical? Are they very egalitarian? And understanding what motivates uh, people. And, and some of it is a generalization because people are individuals, but there are those themes kind of across um, cultures. And so we talk about that a lot. We invite people to share um, different cultural days on, um, you know, what's tradition in their part of the world. Um, how do they like to um, interact? Um, making sure that we're driving a very inclusive and diverse um, culture. And mm -hmm. as a result, uh, we get to take the benefits of all of those cultures and hopefully um, spend time kind of um, being aware of what may or may not be socially acceptable in a particular culture and, and trying to avoid uh, those types of things. But I think the more global the world gets, the more we have to spend uh, time on really trying to understand yeah. each other and, and driving more inclusion. Yeah, and the fact that you have lived and worked in four different continents I mean, that must help a lot in understanding different cultures, how Swedes things think, how people in China and Africa, I mean, we, we all have our, our, our own way, our own cultures of, uh, of working, of course. Now, yeah. let's, let's talk a bit more about uh, you as, as a leader. Let's talk about your leadership style. Um, how would you dis describe um, your leadership style? And maybe the best way to, uh, to put the question is, what do you think your teams will say about you? With the people that you work with, how, would, how do they perceive your leadership style? Yeah, so I, I think what they would say is, is I'm quite inspirational. I like to be a visionary. I am particularly excited by things of thinking through how the next five or ten years or, or more will look, but that I'm very grounded in, okay, then what do we have to do today? So I'm very result-oriented. Um, I like to get things done. Um, I'm 
I would say they would think I'm quite strategic, but would say, but she really likes to make sure that you actually um, execute on the strategy. So I'm not someone that wants to always just stay in the theoretical. Um, I really believe that value is created at the point of execution. Um, I would I think they would say that I'm a big developer of people. Um, I like results, but I learned early in my career that the more we focus on people, the more results we get. And so um, helping people to understand where they're strong, um, where they could focus on, and how do they develop as individuals. Um, I would say I'm pretty decisive. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'd rather, you know, take... Um, stock of you know the facts on the table but then make a decision and if uh if it's not going the way we think then pivot a little bit um but rather than just sitting and and waiting until you've got uh everything in order and then trying to make the decision so um okay. and i think the fact that i'm a technologist and that i started as a programmer um helps me to relate to you know, this, the struggles and, and the opportunities that they face on a day-in and day-out basis. Okay, now let's talk a bit more about your personality. You shared with us that your MBTI profile is uh, ENTJ. So you're more extroverted, intuitive thinking and judging. And these people with, uh, with this personality type, uh, they're decisive people uh, who love momentum and accomplishment. They gather information to construct their creative visions but they rarely hesitate long before acting on them. And that's um, uh, already <laughs> talked about that. Now, I'm going to mention a couple of strengths of uh, people with this profile. And, and let me know which ones stand out for you and you really recognize yourself in. So people with the ENTJ, the commander uh, uh, personality type, they can be very efficient and energetic, self-confident, strong will, strategic thinkers, charismatic and inspiring. How does that fit the bill for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I try to be inspiring and <laughs> I like to think strategically. Um, the energetic piece um, for me, because I am very close to an eye, and I think a lot mm -hmm. of times people um, think of me as quite extroverted because in my role, that really is the piece that comes out. Um, mm -hmm. But when I'm at home or, or in a smaller group, um, a little bit more on the, the introverted side. And so I straddle that line between an I and an E. So you developed, you maybe developed when you were younger, you were more introvert, and now with your experience and, 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 and so on, you, you can, uh, you're more extroverted. You're, you evolved as a, as a personality. Is, is that a correct way to say? Yeah, and I think so. And when I was at Mars, it's quite an extroverted culture. And I think you mm -hmm. learn to develop a lot more of those skills. Um, yep. of, you know, how can you help? And especially as a leader, when you're trying to um, help others see a vision, you know, that, that ability to interact with them and to help them see the same uh, picture or help to co-create that same picture, I think leans a lot on those extroverted tendencies. Okay. Now, on the people with this personality type, uh, and like everybody, we have our strengths and our weaknesses, uh, our development areas. So people with your personality profile, they're sometimes stubborn, dominant, intolerant, impatient, arrogant. They are sometimes poor in handling emotion. They can be cold and ruthless. Where do you maybe recognize yourself a little bit and how did you overcome these uh, weaknesses? 
Yeah, so the one that probably jumps off the page and, and that most people who know me would agree with is impatient. I can be mm-hmm. very impatient for results. Um, I always think things take, you know, 10 times longer than I think they should take. Um, and uh, that's something that I've had to really um, spend some time on because um, otherwise it can be quite frustrating. Some people do need to take more time. They want to think about things a little bit longer. Um, and so for me, I would say over the cor- course of my entire career, I've always tried to say, how could I come into the middle a little bit more and not be so much um, you know, on the edge? And uh, patience is something I've had to really, really develop. Um, I would say a few people think I probably could continue to develop a l- it a little bit further, but uh, you know, it's it's a work in progress. So we could say that all that on the rational and the emotional, the T and the F side of the MBTI, you also made quite an evolution there. Where originally, I mean, you studied computer science, so you're originally more on the T on the thinking side, but you developed the emotional side of yourself as well. Is that correct? Yeah, and I think for me, it's the more you can relate to people as individuals, the, the more you can understand what they are looking for, how you can line them up to the right set of work. Um, and I think that really gets them more fully engaged. And as a result, you get more output, you get more outcomes. Um, and, and so I think over time, early in my career, I would say I was probably... Um, too focused on just getting to the result. And what I've realized is that, you know, actually the more energy and the more time I put into people, then they'll get the results. And so, you know, kind of what I can, you know, kind of contribute to them, you know, as, as a leader is to focus on what will bring out the best in them. And as a result, what I find is, is I tend to have very high performing teams. Okay, now let's talk a bit about the, uh, the values that are important for you. Um, and you shared with us that you have three grown-up children. What are the values that you have passed on to them and, and that, that you're happy to see flourish uh, in, uh, in, in your family? Yeah, so I think one for me is, is just a love of learning. Um, my mm-hmm. parents always learned new things and exposed us to new things, and it's something... Um, that, you know, we've really tried to do with our children. My husband and I, you know, pick something new every year to learn. And, um, and I think that's a, a good demonstration to them. Um, but even myself, every day, I try to spend the first 15 minutes of my day, um, you know, learning something, reading, listening to a podcast, you know, watching a video, um, and just how do we kind of always, you know, uh, make sure we're, you know, kind of enriching ourselves. So that's probably one. Um, I'm really big on integrity and that you do the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so that fits very well with a company that also has the value that's stated around doing the right thing. Um, and and having a, you know, kind of a strong um, work ethic. And I don't just mean like your your job work ethic, but how you do things at home. How do you help in your community? you know, how do you do your job? But the sense of, you know, you know, if everyone was like you, would the world be a better place or a worse place? You know, and that was kind of the litmus test of, you know, do the right thing, be helpful to others, um, and, and be someone who leaves things better than you found them. You said that 
you want to learn something new every year. Every year you put a new mm -hmm. learning uh, topic on the, on, on, on the agenda. Can you give an example of that? Yeah, so one year we learned to scuba dive and we got certified mm -hmm. in scuba diving. Um, one year we took dance lessons and we learned mm -hmm. how to, to do dancing. Um, one year uh, we got our motorcycle licenses and so I still uh, you know, enjoy time out on the bike. Um, so each year we just pick a different topic it, it's something that we can, uh, my husband and I do together and it gives us something to talk about, but it also, you know, gives you just some, some new experiences and some new perspectives. Let's talk a moment about the, um, the people that were important in your life, people that you look up to, uh, people that were your mentors, uh, people that you learn a lot from. Um, can you give maybe a couple of examples of, of important people in your life? Yeah, so I think the important people in my life were, were not well-known people. You know, it was more people um, in my family. My, my, one of my sisters is a particularly somebody that I look up to. And, um, you know, she, she works uh, as, a, as a pharmacy assistant and um, has just been able to really demonstrate like what good character looks like and um, sacrificing for your family and doing the right things. Um, somebody who wasn't afraid to, to jump into new areas um, and yet is so humble and so kind at the same time. So um, I, I would say she's been a pretty big influence on my life. Um, and as well, my father, he was somebody who was an adventurer. You know, he had seven children, so, you know, um, that's an adventure in and of itself. But, you know, somebody that was very worldly. Um, so even though we were in a little island in the Caribbean, you know, he knew, you know, a lot about what was going on in the world. He could talk on almost any subject. Um, he had a lot of hobbies. And so for me, it, it really created this idea about how do you... Um, really bring different perspectives into what you do every day. How can you be well-rounded? Um, how do you focus on always, you know, looking to think about how you can improve yourself and, and create new opportunities, et cetera. Um, so it's more those types of people that I think touched me um, more deeply um, and, and have really kind of influenced the way that I feel like I, I live my life today. Okay. And let's talk about mentorship. Is that, is that something that, is, that you use? Do you have formal mentors or is, is that a program within AstraZeneca? So we do have formal mentorship and I'm someone that I've always, you know, because I enjoy developing people, it's been a big part of, of my career. Um, and so I do have some formal mentors uh, or mentees at AstraZeneca and we do have some formal programs. But when I think of myself, a lot of my mentors have come from um, less formal um, avenues. So just people I've met or, and a lot of times I didn't even call them my mentor. I might just, you know, call them when, when I was thinking about something or needed um, some advice. Um, so I've got probably about 11 mentors. Um, I don't use them all at the same time. Um, one mentor I use when I'm changing jobs. And when I want to think about going to a new company, and that's really, you know, the, the kind of relationship we have. I have three mentors that are under the age of 25. 
Um, they're helping oh. me as, as digital natives. Um, they have the skills that I'd like to, um, you know, express in myself. Um, some of them help me to do more videos. That, that's something I haven't always uh, wanted to do. So they keep me on track of, you know, am I using um, new kind of mediums for, for communications? Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's more about, is there somebody that I want to learn from? Is there somebody that um, has a skill that I want to develop? And, and then I just spend time with them. Um, and uh, not really always quite as formal as having a formal mentor, um, but certainly people that uh, help me grow and develop my own skills. Well, let's talk about a couple more personal things. I mean... Can you share with us what was the, the best thing or some of the best things that really happened in your life that you're very grateful for? Yeah, I mean, I think in a personal level, probably meeting my husband because mm -hmm. he has been probably been the biggest champion that I've had in my life. Um, somebody that he also is in uh, computers and, and so we have a, a love of technology that we share um, but also he gets me to, to be far more adventurous than maybe I would have been on my own um, and mm -hmm. experiencing new, new things. Um, and I think that has really helped permeate, um, you know, who I've become. Um, from a work perspective, I just feel like I've been given opportunities to be involved in some pretty amazing um, things. I, I, one of the things I often talk about is, stands out in my careers. When I was at ITT, I did a double tax-free spin where we stood up two new publicly traded companies um, mm -hmm. and broke the company into three. And we had to have everything done in eight months, um, standing up new, new data centers, new infrastructure, all new applications, putting in management teams, um, getting them staffed, um, and I, it really taught me that when you think things are almost impossible, that if you have good teamwork and, and you really focus on what you're trying to achieve, that, that almost anything is possible. And I think those have given me lessons um, that I've been able to take with me. So, Cindy, you have clearly, you're very fortunate in life. You have um, a, a nice family that you lived around the globe. You made a, a great career. Um, you have a loving husband, but we all have our, uh, our hardship and things that happen to us, bad things that happen to us. Could you share maybe what was one of the worst things that happened to you and, and how did that change you or what did you learn from that? Yeah, so um, about 10 years ago, my mother was terminally ill uh, with pulmonary mm -hmm. fibrosis and um, I had gone out to take care of her for a couple of weeks while my sister, who was living with her, um, was, was going to be away. And my mother's sister was there, and I was very close to her, um, and she was helping to take care of my mom as well. And um, unexpectedly, my aunt died um, mm -hmm. while I was there. And eight days later, my mother passed away from her illness. And 22 days later, my father passed away. And wow. so I had three people very close to me all pass away in a short period of time. And I was in the middle of getting ready to launch a very large um, SAP program at ITT. And um, actually, um, my father died on the 11th of June, and I launched on the 8th of, of June 
um, I launched this big program, um, and we were simulcasting, you know, kind of worldwide. And I think it really, two things happened. Number one, to go through that much loss in such a, a short period of time is how do you build a resiliency, um, mm -hmm. you know, that was pretty profound. But it also was the leadership at ITT, and I heard from each of the executive members saying, listen, we've got this, your priority is to be with your family, um, you've got a great team, you know, we can keep things running. And I think that really drove a, um, a sense of, of empathy um, and understanding that as leaders, we manage people that are going through a lot of personal hardship. And how do we balance that result orientation and the demands of the job, but also realizing that people have, you know, real struggles that are happening outside of the day-to-day, -day, you know, nine to five. And certainly during COVID, I felt like I was able to really draw on that and realize that people were having to care for their parents. They were having to care for, you know, um, siblings or, or small children. And how can we as leaders create an environment where, uh, they feel it's okay when they have to split their time and their focus and uh, mm -hmm. really get to a point that these um, individuals can really um, be their best and feel that they're supported at work. Um, and I do think it, it profoundly changed you know, the way in which I lead. What, what is it that drives you in your life? What is the, the inner drive that makes that you do what you do? Yeah, I think for me, it's always this desire to leave things better than I found them. So whether it's in, in work or in my personal life, you know, if I look back and say, oh, that's better off because I put energy into it, um, that is hugely motivating. Um, it's not okay just to be part of something. I want to make sure that, you know, after I've, I've spent time there that I left it in a, in a better state. And I think that that's something that throughout my life has, has been a big, you know, kind of um, theme. Okay. Do you have a personal mantra, a saying that you use when you have to make a decision or you're in, in a difficult situation and said, I can always rely on that? Yeah, so I developed one um, probably in the last 10 years, which is jump and trust that the safety net will appear. And mm -hmm. I, I heard it once at a talk and a, a lady was, was using it and it just really resonated with me. And I would say over the past 10 years, um, I've said yes to far more things than I would have done previously. And it's opened up opportunities um, mm -hmm. that I don't think I would have gotten otherwise. And so um, for me, it's just about before your brain can tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it, just say yes, <laughs> and then figure out how you're going to make it work. Now you have a very successful career, clearly, but um, we also all make our uh, professional mistakes. Would you care to share what was one of your most brilliant failures in, in your professional career and what you learned from that? Yeah, I think one of them was about, um, I joined an organization to lead kind of the digital transformation. And it was something I was really passionate about. And I could so clearly in my mind see where the opportunities were. Um, but what I didn't do well enough was to really understand that although verbally people really wanted to be on this digital transformation, um, intellectually they knew they needed to do it, but it hadn't moved from the head to the heart yet. 
and they weren't quite ready to make the decisions that needed to be made. And I didn't spend enough time early on kind of um, managing those stakeholders and helping them see the same vision that I could see. And I think as a result of that, I've tried to spend more time now because it's very easy to um, think that because somebody says, oh yeah, I'd really like to transform and digital is really important, you know, you can jump too quickly. And I didn't spend the right time and I didn't spend the right energy to make sure they really understood and had the same perspective of what digital meant and how it would radically change the way we were working and were they really ready for that. And um, as a result, I just wasn't successful at it. Um, We didn't get to the place that I thought we could get to. And um, ultimately, I, you know, ended up leaving because I just didn't feel like I could make the impact I wanted to be able to make there. So, Cindy, uh, final question of this uh, conversation is um, people that are watching uh, these uh, interviews, um, several of them are young professionals that are ambitious uh, to also become uh, a CIO, CDO of a global company. What would the advice be to maybe your younger self 10, 15 years ago, or to people that, uh, these young ambitious professionals, how, what is your secret sauce of being uh, uh, such a successful digital leader? I mean, I would just say be inquisitive, be curious, um, step outside of, of the core job that you have and offer to, to participate in you know, additional things. Um, I am quite technical. I think that really helps me as a digital leader. Um, I mm-hmm. understand the, the tech, so don't always just look for the roles that are the new, shiny, exciting pieces, but understand, you know, how does infrastructure work? How do you develop applications? How do you, you know, code and test them? Um, work in a lot of different functional areas. So what are you doing in R&D or commercial or manufacturing or finance um, to give yourself that breath? Um, I think as, as well, just don't limit yourself. Push the boundaries. Um, you know, have that, that confidence you know, that, that you can do new things. And, and I always say, it, when you don't have confidence, all you need is a healthy dose of courage. Um, and just do it anyways. And yep. um, focus on your learning. Focus on keeping yourself modern, um, staying up with, with current trends, um, and being a thought leader. You know, not just sitting back, but, but really helping people understand the role that technology can play in, uh, in driving business. Now, Cindy, you are uh, active in, in the CIO community. You're active uh, inside uh, CIOnet. How important is, is networking and, and, and community building for you? Yeah, I mean, I always have, have been someone who believes in the power of networks and, and bringing people mm-hmm. together and being able to co-collaborate. But I think in a digital world, it's getting even more important. You know, so much of what we want to do and the speed we want to work at you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot even do it within one company. So um, I really spend quite a bit of time in networking with other companies, learning about what they're doing, um, working with my peers, co-collaborating. And again, it's something I would really highly recommend. I think it's one of the biggest skills we'll need going forward. Okay, great. And with that, Cindy, I would like to thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing 
all your stories, your visions. It, uh, it, it was a wonderful conversation. I look forward to meeting you soon in real life and to, um, to have a coffee or a beer together. Look forward to that. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much.